Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello there, and welcome to today's program, um, Collaborative Problem Solving at School. Um, boy, no matter where you look, there's more evidence that we need more collaborative problem solving going on at school. Luckily, we do have a uh, school somewhere on the eastern time zone of the United States that is trying their best to implement collaborative problem solving at school. Our friends from Anytown High School will be joining us momentarily. And then just uh, advance warning for those of you who like advance warning on such things. Next week will be our first educators panel of this school year. Um, And that's on tap for next Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, as always. Um, So welcome to today's program. I'm going to uh, jump right in here so that we can uh, spend the entire 45 minutes or so with our good friends at Anytown High School. Um, How are you today? Good, thank you. Good. Last week we had you all on. We're going to be with you about two weeks a month. And um, we're going to try to make it the second and fourth Monday of every month. It's not always going to work out that way because of holidays and and the like. But um, on a generally reliable basis, we will be with you for, uh, on every second and fourth uh, Monday between now and the end of the school year. So we ought to be make, able to make a lot of headway. Last week, we um, met some of your new members uh, I understand we have some of our old members back today. Who who we got today? Well, we've got Bob. And um, I was here last week and last year. Lucy, I'm the art teacher. Yeah. We have Jack. I was here last year. Sue, I was Welcome here back, last Jack. Sue, I was here last year. Hi there. Welcome back. Zena, I was here last year. I remember the name. I know it's not your real name, but that's okay. Zana, I was here last year. Welcome back. Thank you. Jen, the career counselor. And Kim, the new person. Hi. So let me um, ask some of our... Uh, veterans, but also the group as a whole. Um, Often, after 
nine or ten, which we've had, core group meetings, um, it's time to start thinking about rolling it out, introducing the entire school to collaborative problem solving, but not always. So I wanted to get a general sense from you all, given that I met the new uh, core group members last week. Um, usually it's time to start thinking about what it's going to look like to roll collaborative problem solving out to the rest of the building, or at least to um, bring more people into the core group, which you all have done. Once core group members, veterans, um, feel like they're starting to get a sense of mastery um, over the use of two basic components, well, three, I guess, sort of conceptually the model, and that is that behaviorally challenging students are lacking skills and have unsolved problems. And then at a more technical level, good at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to identify those lagging skills and unsolved problems in rather specific terms, and then feeling like they are becoming rather proficient in the use of Plan B, which is when you are solving those problems collaboratively with your students. Um, I thought maybe the best place to start today, and I, I believe that you all have a student to talk about as well, but I thought that we could start today by having our core group members give me a general feel for where you all feel you're at in terms of those three components, sort of conceptually you're comfortable with the model, yes, kids, students with challenging behavior have lagging skills and unsolved problems, proficiency in using the ALSIP to identify those lagging skills and unsolved problems, and at least emerging proficiency in the use of Plan B. Where do you all feel you're at in terms of those three components? Um, I'll start. This is Donna. Um, I feel more comfortable meeting with the students um, and working on Plan B with the students and having them come up with um, identify a plan for themselves and what can they do differently. So I feel that's um, one of my strengths is when we actually meet with the, the students. And what feels more comfortable about that for you? Are you using Plan B when you're meeting with a student or is there just a greater level of comfort? I think it's, um, I feel more confident when we're discussing it with the student versus just discussing um, as a team about the student um, and sure. letting them input and have them identify uh, what they feel that they're lagging versus, um, I guess, us trying to foresee what we perceive that the student is lacking. Got it. So one of the things, let me uh, just repeat what I think you're saying, and that is that you're getting more comfortable gathering information from the student about what's really going on with regard to a specific unsolved problem than simply yeah. discussing it among members of the team and coming to your own conclusions. Is that a fair summary? That's perfect. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, and that, I think, suggests somewhat greater comfort with using Plan B and 
greater comfort conceptually with what the model believes and what it's supposed to look like in implementation. Is that a fair assumption as well? Yes. Okay. How about this the rest is, of you? This is Zena from last year, and um, yeah. I definitely agree with Donna. It's much easier to talk with the students and get them involved, actively involved. But in addition to that, I think you helped us a lot last year with figuring out how to ask questions that could keep them talking, and that was really crucial because it helped us to get past our preconceived ideas of what was wrong with the kid and to try to get more specific. I think that was really key. And, you know, as instructors, we like to see what we see and people we see what we see, but we don't necessarily know all of the pieces that are involved and we don't know to get that specific. Like we tend to generalize and group because it's easier mentally. And so I think we grew a lot last year that way, being very specific with questions. However, I would still say that personally I have some trouble with the ALSUP because how I was thinking about the different ideas and the lagging skills was very different than when we broke it down and talked about them as a group where you were coming from. Mm -hmm. And so that still it trips me up a little bit, but definitely we're much better at getting through to the kids, like Donna said, talking with them and getting specific with them. That's good. Now, the piece that uh, I'm not quite clear on the piece that you're saying you're still struggling with. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, last year we went skill by skill through mm -hmm. the ALSEP talking about yes. what that might show. And I think, like, the first times we read it through on our own after going through your book, I had a different interpretation of what some of those lagging skills meant Got it. than how you had intended them. And still, for me, seeing that, I have to really go back and look at my notes because I still see it the way my brain had interpreted it, not necessarily how it. you intended it. I got it. And is that, so I, assume, I assume that that's specific to lagging skills because that's really the hard part. Um, so you're still interpreting the lagging skills as some of them as you felt you were to get at what they originally what you originally thought but yeah. not all of them mean what you thought they meant exactly got it and you probably don't have an else up in front of you but if you did i would you do are we there do. any on there in particular the hard thing about the lagging skills on the else up is that um what i've done is taken some not so easily stated neuropsychological constructs and try to put them into everyday language and it doesn't always translate perfectly are there any in particular that you've come to know don't mean what you thought they meant I'm scanning it right now so just give us a second here Well, just also, the, a lot of them are very generalized. Like you said, you took a big idea and put it into just a quick sentence. Yes. And so I noticed, that especially when we were discussing T last year, we had to revisit the lagging skills a lot because it turned out that we would read something, like, for example, difficulty maintaining focus. 
And we might say, oh, no, she, you know, she does her work all the time. She's really good. She doesn't have a problem with that. But if we were talking about something later, we would realize that that was actually part of it. But maybe in a different sense, not necessarily focusing on her work, but on something else. Got it. So here's the interesting thing. Um, the, the lagging skills are crucial primarily to help people understand that a student is indeed lacking skills and that many of the things that are often said about these kids, manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, um, and the like, really aren't applicable. But I'm always wondering how crucial it is to, and, and of course it's important to understand each of the lagging skill items in terms of what it really is about. But the reality is, since the main purpose is to persuade people that the kid is indeed lacking skills, and that a lot of what we've been saying about the kid and assuming about the kid, and a lot of the things we've been saying and assuming that have been driving us to intervene in ways that are rather punitive, aren't true. If the lagging skills section of the ELSIP accomplishes that mission, I would say we've have mission accomplished. And once again, that said, we'd still want to make sure that people understood the lagging skill section, but the part of the ELSIP that is perhaps even more crucial to be highly specific about is the unsolved problems. How do you feel that part's going? Was that to anyone in particular or to the group in general? Um, I would say the group in general. I think um, we're still working on pinpointing issues, although it's gotten much better than last year. Identifying like particular, very specific unsolved problems. Our questioning is more specific, but actually getting an exact assignment or type of problem, that is still posing us some problems, but I don't know what anyone else thinks. Uh, this this came up in, I do certification trainings, and this came up in the certification training that I do on Monday mornings where I listen to people's actual efforts to gather information with the ALSIP. And um, it's rather commonplace, especially early in people's training, for people gathering information about unsolved problems to run with a rather vague unsolved problem. So, for example, um, difficulty um, concentrating in classes that have... So here's... here's let, let's go through varying phases of being vague and, and get more specific as we go along. Um, difficulty concentrating in class. Now, that's that's more specific than some other possibilities, but um, there's much information still missing. And as you all know, what I do to try to make unsolved problems on the ALSIP more specific is I encourage people to add information about who, 
who, with whom is the unsolved problem occurring? And I, I don't that, that would apply potentially here to difficulty concentrating in class. Um, over what? what? In this case, what types of classes or what types of assignments? Um, where and when? And so, if we wanted to make that unsolved problem more specific, we might ask, uh, well, is that true in all classes or uh, some classes? And let's say we then got it narrowed down and we moved to what we might call the next level of specificity, uh, some classes. Wh which classes? Uh, American history and math. Hmm, American history and math. And um, what do you think it is? This would be a what question. What do you think it is about those classes that um, makes it hard for this student to concentrate? Um, well, the, you know, now that I think of it, those are classes that have a lot of lecturing going on, a lot of sort of um, not uh, hands-on activities, not project-based, but just sitting there and listening. Very interesting. Which classes did you say those were? American history and math. Are there any other things you can think of that might be making American history and math hard for this student to concentrate? No, I think uh, listening to lecturing and taking notes, so sort of writing and listening at the same time, um, I, I think that's uh, what we're dealing with here. So the student doesn't have difficulty listening in paying attention at every class. No, I would say those are the main two. Now, what do we have on our hands here? Um, diffi we, now, how do we state this? D we could go with something a little more vague, like difficulty concentrating in classes that involve a lot of listening and note-taking. Or we could go even more specific than that and go with difficulty concentrating when there's a lot of note-taking and listening in math. That would be one unsolved problem difficulty concentrating where there's a lot of note-taking and listening in American history, that would be a different unsolved problem. Um, the more specific, the better. And the reason that's true is because what we write in on the LSIP in the unsolved problems section is going to lead us directly to what we say in the empathy step of plan B when we're getting ready to solve the problem with the student, and if we, this is an important point, if we go with something vague, like difficulty concentrating in class, here's what it would sound like in the neutral observation of the empathy step. I've noticed that you have difficulty concentrating in class. What's up? Now, we've just made it significantly more difficult for the student to answer the question, because now what does the student have to do? The student has to think about the different classes that he or she is having difficulty concentrating in, why he or she is having difficulty concentrating in each of those classes, and it may be something completely different for each class. Um, and now we have placed a burden on some students, in fact many, that have them not being able to sort all of that through. And what do they say to us? They say, I don't know, in which case our vague unsolved problem has made it harder for the student to give us information. So even if it means dividing what seems like a global unsolved problem into multiple parts, it's worth doing because the bottom line is if we said to the student, 
I've noticed that you sometimes have trouble concentrating in math where there's a lot of lecturing and a lot of note-taking. We've just made it much easier for the student to give us information because we've just put them into the difficulty concentrating in math when there's a lot of note-taking and listening file. And let's say the student's able to give us lots of information on that. We can then broaden it up and say, I wonder if the reasons you're having trouble in math are also related to why you're having trouble in American history. So the rule of thumb is, generally speaking, better to start specific and broaden it out than to start broad, which is by no means a criminal offense, just makes it harder, than to start broad and try to get more specific from there. So I hope that helps you all um, feel better about whatever energy you're putting into being really specific about the unsolved problems. What um, other aspects of the model are people feeling like they're still struggling with? Let me name one of the hardest, I would say the hardest part of doing the model, and that's drilling for information. How do you all feel about your drilling skills these days? Um, I think that's what Donna and myself, Zena, that we thought we had improved the most on. So I think we were feeling pretty confident about that, like getting the kids to talk and drawing information out of them. Good. That we had improved on that. And using that specificity had really helped. How about the others? I'm definitely, Jen, I'm improving on my skills. I'm still working on it. Do any of you feel we have some newcomers to our core group? And in many schools where members of the core group are starting to feel better about their skills at doing Plan B, it's not unusual, and in fact sometimes recommended if people are comfortable with it, that when a newcomer uh, to the core group start trying to do Plan B with a student, that they have somebody, a veteran from the core group, um, doing it alongside of them to coach them along if they should run into trouble. To what degree do our veterans feel like they might be able to lend a hand um, and just be in the room with uh, our newcomers in their first attempt at doing Plan B? Is that something you all feel like you'd be comfortable doing? I think we would all be comfortable. It's just a matter of scheduling and time of day kind of thing. Got it. Oh, so so scheduling would be the biggest issue. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, that's where your school leader might come in. He's he might be the coverage man. <laughs> I hear him laughing in the background. <laughs> I will definitely cover for them. 
It was a moment of beauty last school year when I was in a school that was trying to do collaborative problem solving. Uh, we were talking about the unsolved problem of a student in the school and the teacher, classroom teacher, who was very invested in trying to do Plan B, looked at the principal and said, I would really like to do Plan B with this student on this unsolved problem, but I'm going to need like 15 or 20 minutes and I don't know where I'd find that in my day. And he immediately said, don't you worry about that, I'll find coverage. Those are sort of beautiful CPS moments. Do you all have a student you wanted to talk about today? We have some ideas. We, um, before we um, called you, we were um, talking about maybe working with a student named Carlos. And Carlos, of course, not being his real name. No. Perfect. What do you want to tell us about Carlos? And here's the cool part. Um we've if if our listeners want to hear what it sounded like with you all learning how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems they can listen to any town number 2 or any town number 3 in the listening library on the lives in the balance website um what i'd like to hear from you all are what are some of carlos's now you, we, you know, in some meetings, people want to talk about what the student is looking like when he's looking bad. We could spend a few minutes talking about that, but ultimately, only a few minutes, because ultimately we want to get down to the reasons Carlos is looking bad, which is lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let me ask a question. Has a discussion with the ALSIP as a discussion guide taken place yet? related to Carlos so that you might be able to provide us with that information? No, no. not yet. Not yet. So let's do a little bit of it now, but the goal would be for you all to start making the ALSIP a routine part of the assessment methodology in your building. And this would not be a bad introduction to collaborative problem solving, even for staff who are not members of our core group, because at the very least it would sort of immerse them in the practice of viewing students' behavioral challenges through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems and get them used to the language of the model. But as you all think about Carlos, what is it that you'd like us to know about him before we get down to lagging skills and unsolved problems? Um, well, I have him in my art class, and he's very personable, uh, very friendly, um, not really a, um, what's the word? like he's not disruptive to the classroom environment. Um, he's just very social in the class. So sometimes he has a hard time just doing his work because he's socializing with the other students. He wants to kind of be in the mix. Got it. So now let me see if I can translate. There's work he's having trouble getting done. Yes. Now you have attributed that to a certain cause. I would be less likely to do that while 
I understand that socializing with other students and not completing work may look like they are associated with each other. Don't necessarily want to make any assumptions about which causes which. They may, it, it's it's entirely possible, in fact likely, that neither causes either. But now let's see if we can practice a little. Um, what uh, are there, so this is in art, yes? Yeah. Are there any particular assignments that in art that he seems to be having difficulty completing, or is it largely across the board? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, we've been in school about, I don't know, five or six weeks now, and he started off pretty strong in terms of getting all the assignments done, but now it's slowing down his... Um, you know, like coming in and getting the the do now assignment done. He you know started off really strong on that, but he's starting on um, to do that less and less. Interesting. So number one, good that you've noticed. Um, there are sometimes kids in schools where they haven't noticed, and um, good that you're on it. So that's first of all great. So. Are there particular assignments that he seems to be having difficulty completing, or is it largely across the board? Um, does Donna want to chime in for math with Carl? Carlos. Um, in math, he has, um, I find also he has problems just getting started, getting settled down for the day, um, getting prepared, taking out his supplies. You have to consistently remind him over and over again. Um, and then throughout the class, again, um, he talks at inappropriate times um, throughout the entire class, talking with classmates. Um, again, he's just he's very friendly, um, like Lucy had mentioned, and um, I think it's very hard for him to turn it off so that he could focus in the classroom. Well, now here's the interesting thing. Once again, I don't want to um, necessarily associate socializing with difficulty completing work. I understand that if he wasn't so social, I guess completing work would be easier. But I also know that it's entirely possible that it's working in the opposite direction, and that is that because he's having difficulty completing work, the activity that's most appealing to him at that moment is um, socializing. So I don't know which causes which. It does sound like we have, quite frankly, two rather specific unsolved problems. He's having difficulty completing work. And now, once again, going back to what I said earlier, we may want to divide, slice the difficulty in completing work pie into different classes because why he's having – I don't want to make any assumptions. This is what we were talking about earlier. The assumption at the moment is that he's having difficulty completing work because he's socializing too much. But I don't want to make that assumption. I want to – 
just have the classes in which he's having difficulty completing work as separate unsolved problems and the classes in which he is socializing a lot as separate unsolved problems because the reasons he's having difficulty completing work in the different classes may be different and I don't want to assume that the reason he's having difficulty completing work is because he's socializing so much. We need to find that out. In the meantime, he's having trouble completing work in specific classes, and he's socializing quite a bit in different classes. Those are all different unsolved problems. Good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Nina, and um, I don't have this particular student. A lot of the other people here have contact with him. I don't. But I noticed while Lucy and Donna were talking that they both mentioned that Carlos had difficulty starting work. And Lucy had also pointed out that at the beginning of the year, he was good at completing the assignments. But now even the do now, which is like bell work, it's what you do as soon as you get into the room, that he's having trouble doing that. And Donna noted that when he comes in, she has to remind him over and over to get his things out to do that. So I'm wondering maybe, as a question to them, instead of saying difficulty completing the work, could we see that as a difficulty starting the work? Yes. Yeah. You know, now that you say it like that, I'm thinking about Carlos in class, and I do have to go over and remind him, you know, well, we're at the beginning of the class, we need to get this out, you know, where's this work? So I think I think that is a good clarification for at least an artist starting the work. Yeah, well, this is Bob. To dovetail off that a little, if I could, is um, I have uh, Carlos as a um, skills lab. Is um, we have a um, a um, graduation initiative program here at Anytown that um, you know targets students who may have difficulty with attaining their credits, and we provide uh, one-on-one and small group settings, you know, during certain parts of the day. And what I've noticed with Carlos is that he seems um, to crave structure, and he's a little unsure of himself. And um, in our small group setting, is um, he does actually very well because we're able to give him a lot of instantaneous feedback. You know, but I do notice that he does hesitate to get started because he's not really sure about what he needs to do. You know, and one of the things that I've been working on with him is math. And um, you know, we noticed that we were working on positive and negative integers, and that seems to be something that he's really confused about, and he has a hard time getting into. You know, so when we're talking about that specificity of dealing with a specific thing, you know, I was just wanted to chime in on that and get your thoughts on that. Well, I think that um, you've given the teachers in the other classes some potential food for thought about what could be getting in Carlos's way, the only thing I would say to that is um, confused about what he's supposed to do could explain why he's having trouble getting started in math, but may not explain why he's having trouble getting started in other classes. So we just need to, we don't want to, once again, we want to be very specific about the unsolved problem, but not to the point that we're leading the witness into into uh, responding in the way we think he's going to ahead of time. We want to be actually rather neutral about the unsolved problem. So difficulty getting started on his assignments in math is a pretty specific unsolved problem. But notice I didn't add because he's not sure of what to do, Um, which although that sounds like something you're pretty clear on in math, I'm not sure if we're clear on that 
in art or in some of his other classes. And it's also conceivable that while he is having trouble getting started in lots of classes, once started, he may also be having difficulty completing assignments in some classes. And so it's possible that this unsolved problem is becoming a little bit more complicated. Sometimes that makes people feel like, well, geez, how complicated do we need to get here? I find that um, being specific up front is worth it because the deal is if you can be specific up front or you can be specific in the middle of plan B when you're gathering information from the student. Um, both are great. Uh, you're, you're definitely going to get more specific with the student. If you really want to understand what's getting in the student's way, it's probably, not always, but probably going to come down to talking about individual classes, individual difficulties in each class. So while math may well inform art, math and art are in many ways so fundamentally different from each other that they may not inform each other. It could be that we have this common thread, and the bottom line is here's, here's one of the key themes of collaborative problem solving. We'll find out. We'll find out. And who are we going to find out from? Carlos. In the meantime, I don't want to make any assumptions about the differences or similarities between math and art. We'll find out when we're doing Plan B with Carlos. If um, So here's what else do we want to know about Carlos. Difficulty getting started in classes with, is a clear unsolved problem socializing quite a bit, and I might want to be a little bit more specific about that and a little bit more specific by class about that. Sounds like an unsolved problem. What other unsolved problems do you think you might want to be working on with Carlos? Excuse me, I have notes that he's late a lot to his classes. He's tardy a lot. Okay. And the talk like is across the board pretty much. Yeah, I could see time management as an issue. And what that's interesting. Late is the unsolved problem. Time management is an assumption. I don't know if he's late because he has time management issues. It could be he's late because he's socializing in the hall could be he's late because he knows he's going to be confused about the assignments and he doesn't really want to put himself through that or at least delay it as long as possible. Um, being late for class, unsolved problem. Beyond that, we'll find out. Other unsolved problems? Could... um. In terms of the lagging skills list, the second one, difficulty doing things in a logical sequence or prescribed order. Yeah. Uh, Bob was mentioning that this particular student, when he's with him, appreciates like a very rigid structure and that reinforcement of that structure over and over and over. And um, uh, what did you say it was? Like a self-confidence thing? Yeah, it seemed like a lack of confidence thing. It's like almost like he didn't really want to get started because he wasn't sure, but then once you reinforced, you know, that he was doing the correct thing in the, in the right order, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're full steam ahead. So there, maybe there could be some type of organizational thing with order of events? You'll find out. 
Notice how I am going to great pains today to distinguish between theories or assumptions and reality. Reality isn't known until we gather information from the student. Theories are great. Reality is better. Theories sometimes can guide us in terms of our own hypotheses that we want to check in with the student about. But reality is even better, which is a confirmed hypothesis. So once again, we'll find out. Um, lack of confidence is a theory. Time management problems is a theory. Um, these are these will guide our questions, and we don't. Once again, we don't want to lead the witness. We want to see what we can get out of him first, so as to avoid the possibility that he's going to agree with our suggestions and then not really think about it. Uh, you know, if we say to him right off the bat, I've noticed that you sometimes have um, trouble getting started in math. And let's say, instead of saying what's up, or let's say we say what's up, do you think that's your low self-confidence? That's our theory now bursting through and potentially coloring the student's response. And now some kids do have the wherewithal to say, no, I'm confident. I just I don't understand what y'all are asking me to do. All right, that's that's a decent scenario. In that case, our assumption didn't really get in the way. But then there's going to be other students who we say, do you think that could be your self-confidence issue? And they would say, yeah, yeah that's it. They gave the, they gave the question no thought whatsoever. We've gotten really not great confirmation of our theory because the kid really didn't think about it. Um, that's what we're actually trying to avoid. So because I'm trying to avoid that and because I don't know with different students whether they're going to be able to get past the assumption that I inserted into the process, uh, I'd rather leave my assumptions or theories till the end of the empathy step and see what I can get from the student without my hypotheses early on, just through good drilling. And then if I really don't get anywhere with drilling, then it might make sense. And, and by the way, there's so many things we could do before we to, to try to get information out of the student before we actually start guessing. That um, it's, it's actually fairly rare these days for me to get to the point where I have to hypothesize. There's so many things we can do, and we can review this again. I think we did uh, last year. What we do if we're not getting information from the student, but it sounds like you all are largely getting information from the student. The main caution today is let's make sure that our assumptions and our hypotheses don't rule the day. They're good to have in the back of our heads just in case we can't get anything out of the kid, but we don't want to lead with them. Dr. Green, yep. I think that this would be a, a really good example. In the ALSA, now I don't have that student, this is Zena, but that second one, difficulty doing things in a logical sequence or prescribed order. I created a theory because I don't have the student, but if I had the student, how would I know that that was what they were exhibiting without talking to them? I think that's where the hang-up is. Um, well, let's say you know, and we only have about another minute to talk but for today, but we can pick it up again next week, but let's say you've noticed that there's a sequence to doing things in your classroom. And just to use a really harebrained example, kids are supposed to come in in the morning, put their 
backpacks away, get down to work on a particular activity. Um, and this student um, comes in, gets right down to work with the activities, backpack, still got his shoes on. One possible theory is that he's having trouble with that skill. And it would not be a crime if people endorsed that skill and then later came to the conclusion, actually, you know what? I don't think it's that skill. I think it's something else. That's not tragic. At least we're talking about lagging skills. And it's not that it has to be great precision. It's that we're getting people in lagging skill mode, and that's where we'd like them to be. Unfortunately, we have to stop for today. Good to be with you all again. And I don't remember when you're back on again, but I know that it's in October sometime. We will get together then. Well, we always cover lots of ground with any sound high school. We'll be back with another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at School next week with our educators panel. Talk to you then.